Welcome to the Fire Inside Her podcast, a safe space for leadership, self-care, and community. I'm your host, Diane Schroeder, and it is my privilege to be your guide on the journey to authenticity. I got my emergency medical technician when I was 18 years old. I had been in college for about a year, and it was part of the journey to becoming a firefighter. During EMT school, we talked a lot about trauma, and so I learned trauma was when something bad happened to your body. So if you break your arm, if you're in a car accident, something like that, that's trauma. As I grew up and experienced a little bit more of life, I learned a different type of trauma, and that's the trauma that repeatedly seeing terrible things that happen to people in the emergency services world, to see bad things, you still experience a different type of trauma. And, you know, then I learned about family trauma and that trauma can chip away at your soul and it can be more than just breaking a bone. The beauty about trauma just like your bones will heal, is that with the mental trauma and stress that we all experience, you can heal that as well, just like you can heal a leg. It takes a lot of work and it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's possible. And one of the things that make it possible are people and pioneers who are open and vulnerable and work with trauma, trauma survivors, the trauma that happens when we're younger and we may not remember it, that these angels who can help us deal with our stuff and deal with our past traumas and also help our children who have been exposed to various forms of trauma. My guest this week, Chris Prangy Morgan, She considers herself a student of all types of trauma. Before becoming a parent to her children, Prangy Morgan worked for more than 10 years as a mental health professional and social worker with adults in the criminal justice system. She has a master's degree in social work from Loyola University, Chicago, a certificate of advanced graduate study in pastoral counseling from Newman College, and a master of arts in religious studies from the Cardinal Stritch University. Prangy Morgan has sought to better understand collective and generational trauma and its effect on individuals after she suffered a life-changing accident in 2011, becoming a trauma survivor herself. Her story has been featured on The Today Show, The Trauma Therapist Project, CBS, Milwaukee Magazine, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement website, the No Barriers podcast, and The Conversation Project. Her articles have appeared in many publications, including Psychology Today, The Huff Post, Able Outdoors, Tiny Buddha, and Living with Amplitude magazine. She coaches parents, patients, and professionals in the trenches of working with challenging life and family circumstances. I loved our conversation. We talk about parenting and trauma and 
life experience. And Chris is just a light in this world. And I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. And I look forward to hearing what your favorite parts of this conversation are. Welcome, Chris. I'm so excited to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Diane. I'm excited to chat with you. Yes. So let's see. The icebreaker question that I want to know about you is, what was your first cassette? My first cassette? Oh, I was thinking album. Uh, or, or album. We can do album, album. first album. I know, I know. Imagine, like, I kind of span between album and cassette and A-tracks yes. back yes. in the 70s. So my very first album was, I had two, Breakfast in America by Supertramp <sighs> and Sticks Cornerstone. That tells you when I grew up. Nice, <laughs> but, but yeah. Classics. They're still classics today. They are. I wish I would have held on to those albums because vinyl is back in and I probably would have that at my fingertips, but oh well. Exactly. <laughs> my first album was Michael Jackson Thriller. Oh, perfect. And then followed shortly by my first cassette was Madonna Like a Virgin. Perfect. Yeah, my yes. parents, I don't know if my parents just didn't realize, but man, that was, whew, those those were the good days for me. I blasted that. I probably wore that tape out. I listened to it so much. Like a virgin? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, and was Borderline on there? And <sighs> yeah, Papa Don't, just, no, that wasn't Papa Don't Preach, but it was Borderline. Material Girl. Yes. Yes, Gosh. wonderful. Life was so simple. <laughs> it was. So, why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, about your journey, and why we're here today talking about your upcoming book, the Reader's Digest version of kind of what led you to this moment. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit earlier about, I, I was scrolling Instagram, and I and I loved your phrase, the fire inside her, because actually I thought, and I also see that you're into tattoos, and I did consider getting a tattoo that says, fire within me, earth below me. I can't remember what the other one said, but I, it was like a really cool idea for a tattoo. Mm -hmm. I didn't end up getting it, but you know how tattoos go. Like you have to, everything has to come together to get the right one. Yes. But anyway, but like the idea of fire within, like I've always kind of felt you need that to kind of keep going when life gets tough. Mm -hmm. And so I have a memoir coming out in May, the beginning of May called Broken, Brave, and Bittersweet, Forging Fiercely Through Disability, Parenthood, and Other Misadventures. And um, just to kind of back up a little bit, the book took about five years to write just because I started it as memoir and then I shifted to essay trying to discuss all these learnings and stuff, which there were there have been a lot of them. But over the years, it kind of, and it was a lot about parenting as well. And my kids are now teenagers, and it's not as exciting to talk about parenthood. So I went back to talk about what my own experience, which, yes. you know, it kind of kind of came full circle. So I had an accident in November of 2011 that was related to the parenting stress that I was going through. Right. So it all kind of comes together in this book where I, I had a rock climbing fall I have two children. My daughter is older than my son and my son has some special needs. And I brought him along to this climbing gym with me. And I didn't even realize I was stressed out because I mean, I was just doing the mom thing, right? I was planning to take him to an appointment that afternoon and he had his therapies in the morning and I thought I had it all together and I was just going to climb. 
and I forgot to clip into my harness. Oh right? my goodness. So, like, yeah. I didn't even like, I thought I had clipped in, but I was distracted. So I ended up falling about 30 feet. And so now question as being a firefighter, you do paramedic stuff, right? Yes. Yes. I was a paramedic so, for 17 years. Wow. Uh-huh. So have you ever had to deal with someone who fell from a height before? Uh, yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, in my town, we have a climbing, an indoor climbing gym. And I have responded as in my current role now as a battalion chief and watched my crews take care of patients. So yes, we've we've seen what happens with that. And that's why, my goodness, that is awful. Yeah. So you've seen like the mechanism of injury and mm-hmm. people mess up their ankles. Yep. It's yep. unforgiving from that height. It is an unforgiving. And even did the climbing gym kind of have that soft, unique floor, kind of padded, not really hard, but not really like a trampoline, but just a unique floor. That's hard to land on. Yes, right. And there's a big difference between like bouldering where it, it's not rope climbing, but it's a lot softer uh-huh. to walk on. And then like where you're boulder or where you're climbing with ropes and belaying, you have a belay partner usually, or you're on an automatic belay. Like I thought I was on an auto belay and I I wasn't, I was just like free climbing, which was, I still can't, I I guess they had it on, I want to say tape. They they had it on a video surveillance, Uh which I don't ever want to see, but like, but yeah, so right. So, so my injuries were like, I had a pelvic fracture, which was like a, they call it a vertical shear because I fell toward like on my right foot and the force went like up through my right side. So my pelvis kind of went up and uh, I felt like a marionette kind of when the paramedics got there and thankful to the drugs that they put through me because I didn't feel anything, but they got there like within 10 minutes, I swear. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't really have too much pain. I mean, just as soon as the shock wore off, I was like, wow, that that pain meds must be working. Right. But anyway, you know, I kind of need myself in my nose and bit through my lip and broke a rib and a couple of vertebrae. And uh, it just ended up being a really long, arduous recovery because um, I had a pylon fracture, which, you know, when you fall from a height, you it, they call it mortar and pestle. I think pylon is like French for mortar and pestle or something. Okay. Uh huh. So basically crushed the living daylights out of my ankle and they were trying to fix it for a couple of years and I keep ha- I kept having surgeries. And uh, so finally, you know, after two years and looking around at, you know, cause I'd always been active, right. You know, being active is one of the things that has, I mean, I have to be active because my father was an athlete. I'm an athlete. I get depressed if I can't move. Yeah. So I decided to have a a below the knee amputation so I could regain my quality of life and I could get a running blade and a climbing foot and I wouldn't be in pain all the time. And that was after like 11 surgeries or something like that. So anyway, that's the nutshell version. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that in itself could be a story, uh, a book, you know, recovering Mm -hmm. from that and healing that trauma yourself. But I'm curious if you don't mind going back a little bit and talk a little bit more about your kiddos and kind of where you got to this really burned out survival mode, trying to be a mom and trying to cram in some self-care time because, you know, you needed that for your mental health, but really not being fully present. If you don't mind going back a little bit to kind of what got to that moment. 
Sure. Yeah. And that's also a little bit why it was hard to write the book because, you know, they talk about target audiences. And so I had, I have all these target audiences like I, and I work in healthcare. So, you know, there's the parent community of children that have reactive attachment disorder. A lot of them are, a lot of us are adoptive parents. Um, so there's that community. There's the whole special needs parent community. Mm-hmm. There's the disability community. There's the chronic health conditions community and healthcare professionals. So yeah, it was hard to write this because the parent community at the time when we brought our children home from China, both of my kids are adopted from China. Okay. I was experiencing a lot of like self-doubt because I felt like I had to prove that I was a super mom and that we were all connected. And my son was really struggling with attaching to me. And, you know, the harder I tried to connect with him, the harder he pushed away. (sighs) And he also had severe developmental delays because he came to us, he came to us with severe neglect from his orphanage. And so when he was essentially like, placed in our family, just life became so stressful. Like it was like living in this pressure cooker nonstop all the time. Right. And so I felt like I needed to be his ego to like make progress in the world. And I had to teach him all the things, but he resisted learning and I had to teach him how to walk and he had no interest in learning how to walk. And, you know, and then my husband and I had different ideas about parenting as well. So that kind of led to some, you know, marital discord, because like a lot of kids with rad will act differently with the one parent versus the other. So anyway, so that was just like I and, and I had a background as a social worker before all this. And I gave up my career to raise children. And I thought it was going to I was going to be this loving mama mother hen that just that parenting was all I ever dreamed and wanted and it turned out that I really missed my career (laughs) that's that's hard it it was you know I mean I love my children I mean and there were aspects of parenting them that I really did enjoy like you know I was kind of an outdoor mom I would set up obstacle courses in the backyard and We'd take them hiking and I taught them how to swim. And, you know, I wasn't like the craft mom doing all the little things. Like I tried it and it wasn't me, but I still kind of felt very isolated and alone, which contributed to like this, the stress that like, I didn't even realize I was carrying around until my accident happened. Right. I'm sure I I think about that because, you know, I think I can't imagine how challenging it would be to adopt children. And now that, you know, and you know, being a social worker, the trauma informed and, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that comes with that to begin with. And, you know, I feel like I had nine months growing the, my human inside of me and I still wasn't prepared when he was born. I felt like I wasn't going to do this well. And I had all this pressure to be super mom and knowing that I really was excited to go back to work. And I waited until I was older. So I had lived this really amazing, fun life. And now I felt like what was going to happen next? I how was I going to travel? How was I going to be adventurous? And how was I going to be a good mom and still be a working mom? And holding both of those realities, that tension between the two, it's hard. It's yeah, it so is. I mean, and I don't know if 
there are these images that come to mind, you know, at least for me, and I've tried to learn how to be less self-critical. But, you know, like you'd see these movie stars, you know, like Angelina Jolie with all of her adopted kids, and they all have these like smiles on their faces. And I'm like, seriously, do you really feel happy all the time? Like, are your kids connected with you? Because mine isn't. And, Mm. you know, I mean, I hear about other moms of bio kids where their kids are colicky or whatever. And, you know, this pressure to portray this happy mom image was just, it was, it was hard. Um, Right. And I think that a lot of us probably go through that, but we just don't talk about it, right? No, I I wish we talked about it more. I think, you know, one of the superpowers of being female is our ability to village and be in villages and community and connect with one another. And it's that really that genuine connection of like, hey, I see you, girl, and I see you're, you're kicking ass. And you have to remember that. But just, you know, we all need to hear that once in a while, even when it's hard. And, you know, one of the best pieces of parenting advice I got was, you know, the fact that I cared so much of whether I was doing a good job probably meant I was doing a good job. And right. that, if the, you know, being just loving my son, then that's a great foundation for building yeah. a good relationship. But it, it's like, even at the time, and then everything else going on, like you don't always hear that. So it's nice to have that, you know, I, I do think women need to do better about talking about that and making it okay, that it doesn't have to be social media perfect. And they don't always have to match and perfect clothes and, you know, be smiling and, you know, because parenting is hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I write for psychology today. And I r- just wrote, I wrote about the concept of good enough parenting, which is there's a psychologist from years ago, his name was Donald Winnicott. And he, you know, he had this good enough mothering back in the day. So like all these years later, as a mom, I thought, you know, all of a sudden, one day, I was like, I remember that concept of good enough parenting. And I feel like I have to, I have to absorb the idea of I'm a good enough mother because like that's what's going to release me from the pressure and release my children from this idea that they have to be what I expect them to be. So yeah, so I just wrote another one last month about, or no, actually it was earlier this month about good enough raising teenagers through the lens of good enough parenting because it just morphs, you know, as they get older, like what does parenting feel like? You know, I mean, you're never done, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) And you're, you're always worrying, you know, you're worrying about your kids, you're worrying about society's pressures or, or expectations of you. You're worried about your relationships and whether or not you're juggling all the things well, or if you're exercising self care enough, you know, like, I think I've, I think I've got figured out at this point, you know, now that my kids are older, because we can let them alone. Yep, which helps. But yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely really a challenge. And you know, when you talk about the villages, like, I was expecting those villages to be more evident for me when my kids were younger, like, I would take them to the Y and I'd see all these other people but like my kids felt it would like it was different and I I write about this in the book too there was a period of time where I was teaching swim lessons it was like my mom job well I could put the kids in kid care and I could do my thing and it wasn't really for the money it was for the membership at the Y Uh Um, but I remember looking at biological moms with their children and seeing the look on their children's faces and their faces and it just seemed natural 
And I kept feeling like, oh my gosh, I never had that. And I was jealous of these moms mm-hmm. that had these relationships with their children and they were gleeful and happy. And I mean, not, I mean, I'm sure I didn't see the other side because right. there were swim lessons and it was fun, right? <laughs> with toys and whatever. But I just remembered having that distinct impression that my reality was much, much different mm-hmm. than these other moms. You know what I mean? Well, now you're not, I can imagine now you're also navigating connection with your children and yeah. they look different. So then now there's diversity, there's inclusion, there's this, you know, sense of belonging. And then all of that external noise, why you're yeah. trying to bond and figure out, you know, parenting and family and everything else that goes with it. So how, when you had your accident, how did that kind of reset your, did it give you, it was like, no pun intended, a hard reset of, oh crap. How did that change moving forward after your accident and then after the amputation? So for me, the idea of self-care, which I don't like that term, I don't know what else to call it, but it was a, a non-negotiable. It had to become a non-negotiable because, well, first of all, I didn't have a choice. I mean, I was stuck in a mm-hmm. hospital bed in my living room for three months and, you know, my kids had to learn how to like throw their snow clothes in the dryer and they had to learn how to do things for themselves. And uh, I had to just cut myself some slack. And I think that was probably the biggest takeaway. And then, you know, even as I started getting better, like, walking on crutches or being able to kind of like get up and about again, I dealt with some chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And I still do, you know, like you don't go through an accident like this and not have some residual effects. Right. So yeah. And so I have to get to the gym and I have to work out. Because if I don't, I can feel it in my body. It's like, you know, feel like I'm an old person (laughs) with all the arthritis and is all post traumatic arthritis and stuff. So I have to do that. I also can tell that stress, like I'll feel it. The way, So when I had my pelvic fracture, they put a couple of screws into my right sacroiliac joint. Mm-hmm. So I have back pain that I have to manage, but also stress I will feel in my lower back. I'm sure. And Yeah. And if I don't listen to that, listen to my body, I mean, obviously stress you can't always get rid of it. It's going to always be there. But like with my son, for example, I'll just have to kind of monitor how much time I spend with some of his behaviors. Mm. And I'll let my husband deal with it. And that's been an okay solution because there's not an optimal one. A lot of parents in my situation have sent their children to residential facilities and things like that. I'm thankful that we worked hard on the front end. I mean, and granted, my accident happened and I was, I had a therapist tell me, Chris, if you don't settle or slow down and take better care of yourself, you're going to, something's going to happen. This was before my accident. Oh, oh. Yeah. Ooh, I that know. gives me so goosebumps. Like, well, I know. And, but you know, we're these strong women, right? And we think, oh, we can do all these things. And uh, like, oh, you don't know me well enough, you know, pile more on, you know, I got this. I got this. Don't worry about it. Well, it's the hyper independence is a trauma response in itself, right? Like, yeah, the, the, I got it all. I can take it all. I can I can show everyone I've got this. And the universe yeah. gives those little nudges like, Psst, hey, mm-hmm. listen, listen, and then you don't listen. And then 
Yes. Mother nature always wins. Yeah, I love how you just said that. Yeah, the universe gives us those nudges for sure. Like I see it in healthcare now. We have a crisis in healthcare because I think during the pandemic, a lot of us said, hold on here. You expect me to do these things and put my life on the line? And wait a second, my gut is saying that's not healthy, which is a, a good thing. You know what yes. I mean? We could probably spend a whole episode talking about being in healthcare during the pandemic and how terrifying that was for a lot of different reasons and how it's changed. I think hopefully for the better moving forward, the world and healthcare. It's a little rocky right, right now. <laughs> it's a- well, I know. I know. I mean, I was going to ask just earlier, like, well, you, you ran into burning buildings for a living. <laughs> Um, it's more of a walking with a purpose. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. and, and fortunately, now I'm lucky enough that I don't have to since I get to sit outside in the fire SUV and help coordinate the events. But yes, there's, there is some element of that for most of my life that was pretty exciting to go into burning buildings. And then I realized all the exposures to cancer and carcinogens and those things that I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I totally hear you. Like I used to work in the inner city as a social worker and it was exhilarating. And, you know, I, this was obviously way before kids in my accident, but I would walk into these really bad neighborhoods carrying money and medications. And, you know, I could have gotten mugged at any moment, <laughs> but I mm-hmm. thought like I was invincible. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if there's anything that's really become clear with me over the years is the idea of mindfulness and checking in with yourself and what you're doing and my environment and wondering like, okay, is this the best thing for me? Like right now, if I do this, what's the fallout going to be? You know, Mm -hmm. um, for example, you know, we hiked to Colorado 14 or some years ago, our family, because I'm, always the adventurer. And that was great. It was wonderful. We got to the top and I, (laughs) I probably hadn't acclimated well enough, Mm -hmm. but to the altitudes, we went, uh, we hiked up Gray's Peak Uh and I was like, why am I doing this? I totally overused my left leg, my good leg, my non-amputated side. And I very likely have messed up my body over the years, pushing it. And now I'm paying the price that probably need a knee replacement within the next five years or so. Like, Mm. you know what I mean? There's all these things that you just don't think about. So anyway, yeah, we have to treat our body as well because it's the only one we've got, right? Absolutely. So now that you're through a lot of the messy middle, the not that life ever gets less challenging, it just changes the challenges it throws at us. How is your son doing? How are you and your son doing? How's your daughter? She's getting ready to go off to college. So how does life look now that things have maybe settled a little bit? That's a good question. Back to the book again, there's always this tendency to want to portray the happy ending, right? (laughs) Or, you know, that everything is fine. Mm -hmm. And Uh, I did have a coach that was like, Chris, you know, people don't always want that. People want Mm -hmm. the real, they want the grittiness. They want the, they want to be able to identify with you. Right. Right. So I had a a decision that I needed to make before publishing the book. And that was that I needed to make the decision about whether or not to use my children's real names. 
And I had to have a conversation with them about that. So I gave them the manuscript over their holiday vacation. And I said, I want you to read this and we're going to talk about it. And you can tell me whether or not you want me to change your names. So in the book, I proceed to talk about my son, who's now 16, getting this job working at this really nice restaurant as a busser. He has ADHD. So you know what? Give a kid with ADHD a job busing tables and everyone is happy. Unless they (laughs) spill water on the patrons. But... (laughs) You know, life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he's doing pretty well. Um, and my daughter wants to work in healthcare. She has a job as a CNA right now. And she's going to be going to UW Madison in the uh, fall, mm-hmm. working in healthcare of some capacity. So she did talk about my accident in her college essay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it seemed to have worked out really well, because she got accepted to every place she applied for. And I mean, she's wicked smart too, a lot smarter than I am when it comes to like (laughs) book smarts and stuff. But anyway, so they're doing really well. And when my son and I, and I put this in the foreword of the book, you know, that this conversation that we had about whether or not to use their real names and my son became really tearful. We talked about his trauma and he talked about how he's proud that he's come so far. Mm. And, you know, I kind of hugged him and I had him next to me and I said, you know, are are you sure? And he said, I want people to know that I'm a real person and that I'm involved. So that was really cool. And my daughter was fine with using her name as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's always the but because this is life, right? That very evening, my son, I was trying to fall asleep. And here in Wisconsin, it was the middle of winter and I needed a warmer blanket. So I went upstairs to our chest to get a blanket. And my son was hiding around the corner. It turned out that he had (laughs) bought a, gone online and purchased a gaming computer with his debit card unbeknownst to me. And he opened up a fake PayPal account or with a fake name and a fake uh, age. (laughs) So like, so anyway, now, thankfully it was within the month that I could take it back to Best Buy and we could, you know, get him cut off from his bank card and whatever. But that goes to show you that even though you think you're making progress, <laughs> you know, the shit hits the fan when, right when you think you're doing really well. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's, I, I had a discussion a couple of days ago at work with some of my coworkers and they were talking about internet and security and how I needed to do all these things and lock it down before he gets his iPhone and before all these things. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am completely failing. (laughs) So I I think that's just life, right? I think, you know, it's sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back. Sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. It is. Mm -hmm. And these kids, they're like, it's second nature for them. It's like learning another language. So they can figure out how to like, you know, cut corners and get what they want. Like, I mean, more than I would even know. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, it's a totally different world. But it's all skills that will be very helpful for them as they grow up. You know, it's, it's, and, and giving a, I, I think it's giving that safe space to, let them try it, have consequences when it's not okay, but not totally unfixable. (laughs) You you can still, you can still recover reasonably from it. And that's a great gift as a parent, you know, that's right. So I, I would say that you're, you're doing great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just said to my, my husband, like, I'm just glad that I had happened to go upstairs and get a new blanket because uh, had I not seen that, 
he could still be, well, he didn't understand the concept of debt. Mm -hmm. So we signed him up for a financial literacy class next year because, yeah, I mean, he needs to understand, you know, you can't just keep racking up debt that's going to just miraculously get paid by some stranger or it would have been us because he's a minor, you know? Right, right, (laughs) right. That makes sense. Um, It brings a question, and I think this is a great question to end our conversation. Do you believe, you know, we all have those sliding door moments in our lives and we all, you know, you can look back retrospectively and think, wow, these choices or these events that happened have kind of perfectly laid out, you know, kind of to give some why all these things have happened, you know, why you got cold and this is what you found or your accident, realizing that time to slow down. So do you believe in that? Do you believe that there's choices that you make throughout your life and you may not know why you're making the choice and it may not reveal itself for many years? What do you think about that? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. It depends on the day how I would answer because like I run a parenting group with a friend of mine. And we also we all have kids with reactive attachment disorder. And uh, a lot of folks have situations that have turned out worse than mine. I mean, like, not as far as my accident, but like, their children end up incarcerated or in the criminal justice system or whatever. And, you know, they'll be like, I don't wish this life on anyone. Mm. And, And, you know, I remember thinking that when I was a younger mom, like, oh, my gosh, there's like, I wouldn't wish this life on anyone. I'm miserable. I wouldn't encourage anybody to adopt. I wouldn't encourage anybody to like go into this without doing all your homework. But then I realized, because I was on this family advisory committee at Children's Hospital with all these other moms that had kids with special needs. And, you know, some had tracheostomies or genetic disorders or different kinds of autism. And, and I'm like, nobody asks for the hand they've been dealt. Or now I work in the rehab with the rehab population, folks with severe disabilities or very life impacting disabilities. And nobody asks for that either, you know? Mm. So, you know, I mean, I work as a hospital chaplain right now. And really, I think on the one hand, I don't feel like I'm as quote unquote happy as I was like all those years ago when life just felt like it was this grand adventure but life is much more rich and full. And I feel like I've gotten a lot more wisdom from the people that I've talked with. I mean, just life makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm able to give that to my children or transmit that to my children and help them in ways that are incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. So I guess in a kind of full circle type of way. Yeah. I mean, I do kind of feel like when it comes to being a mom and the best mom I could be, all of these things have helped particularly like I'm thinking about my daughter who's wanting to go into healthcare. Like she'll talk to me about things that will come up in her job, you know, like patient types of situations and the process that she uses to make her up her decisions about things. And I'm like, I am so proud of you, honey. Like, Mm -hmm. seriously, that was, that's kind of a grown up concept that your little 18 year old brain understands And I don't know if she would have gotten that had she not lived through what she's lived through here. Exactly. Well, and I think, you know, I'd be curious. I I lied. I have one more question. I'd be curious if you wouldn't mind sharing 
what you've learned from your son and daughter. You know, you've taught them a lot. You've given them the skill set. And I would, I would say the experience and the education and your background really helped you maybe didn't feel like it at the time because it was hard, you know, give them, recognize the tools that they were going to need and being an advocate for them, which I think is really powerful. But also, what have you learned from them? So for my son, um, you know, he came to us with severe trauma. And I didn't know the extent that that trauma would impact him for the rest of his life. You know, I mean, they don't tell you that up front. So I've learned that, you know, he's a, a survivor to the core and he kind of will always have that tendency to not want to get too close to people. And this is going to sound horrible, but we have this cat, Nina, who we had, think had some trauma too. And like, I'll tease my husband because Nina doesn't want to go around men ever. She's like, she wants nothing <laughs> to do with men. And I'm like, that's how our son has always felt about me. Like, cause I right. represent the bio mom that left him. Mm-hmm. So some people go through life dealing with their traumas through different kinds of addictions, different sort of ways of coping that aren't very, that are maladaptive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've learned a lot about just trying to navigate this world through my son. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I, as a social worker too, I worked with people with all kinds of mental health issues and addiction yeah. and stuff. So that was helpful too, coming mm-hmm. full circle, because mm-hmm. I'm like, if we don't, I would say a lot, like if we don't deal with this now, like when my kid was younger, he's going to grow up and he's going to have all of these additional problems, Yep, you know, like addictions, because like not knowing how to delay gratification is like huge, right? Right, right. Well, and then it, it, it chases you, right? You're your struggles in life, they catch up with you eventually. You can't outrun them. I, I believe right. that. And I love what you said about nobody asks for the hand that they're dealt. And I think, you know, if you have a different hand, it's hard to see the perspective of, you know, someone that is struggling young and just how grateful to address that early. So he's not dealing with it as a teenager when a whole slew of other pressures will become upon him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, he hasn't gotten into vaping or anything. I mean, at this point, the only thing I see as an addiction for him is social or is um, gaming. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's how many kids are Mm -hmm. sort of addicted to gaming. Oh, my son. Absolutely. That is our, that's our biggest uh, challenge at times is the monitoring the gaming. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's how kids interact. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a double-edged sword because I mean, they connect with other kids through these little screens. (sighs) I know. I know. And I I always tell my son, I'm like, look, your brain will not be fully developed for another 15 years. So you're just going to have to trust me on this one. I'm looking out what's best for you. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's a great, you know, I should, I should steal that. I should say that to my son. Your brain will not be developed for 15 more years. (laughs) Yeah. So like, and, and arguably some men, I feel like it never really fully develops, but that's a different topic as well. My husband would concur because he's like, we're knuckleheads. (laughs) You know, like, we like sex and food and, you know. Shiny objects. Yeah. (laughs) I know. 
Oh, oh that's awesome. But- so how can people find your book? How can they connect with you? I will also put everything in the show notes, but how was the best way to find you? Through my website, chrisperingymorgan.com. And my book will be ready for pre-order pretty soon. I'm thinking in a couple of weeks, but it will be released in early May. And I also write for psychology today. I write a, a lot about parenthood and, um, and disability types of topics mm-hmm. and healthcare. So um, you can uh, Google me on there. And then I'm on Instagram too. So Instagram is one of those things I'm trying to get more involved with because it's like the, the little images are a lot easier than reading through big paragraphs on Facebook or something, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and Twitter just, I I still don't understand Twitter. I'm not really a big Twitter fan, but yes, same. I, I same. that's, I'm in the same boat. I like the pictures and the, you know, easy ease of that. So I will put all that in the notes, like I said, and thank you so much. I am so excited to hear how things go with the book. I will put my name on the list for the pre-order because I can't wait to read it. It's so fascinating in your story and the courage you have to share it and the identifying your need for self-care. I mean, it's, it's all the things, right. And really the leadership through all of it, you know, we didn't really talk much about leadership, but you definitely exemplify everything that a leader is. So in your family, that's awesome. So thank you. Well, thank you. And thanks for having this platform for women who have to find that fire inside of them. Yes. Because we've welched it for so long, for so many generations, right? That is a fact. And, you know, let that fire burn bright because that's how we're going to change the world. Yeah. Ooh, I All got right. goosey. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to this episode. Curious on what to do next? Go ahead and follow wherever you're listening to this podcast so you can get updates each week when new episodes are released. And head on over to thefireinsideher.com slash audio for a free audio to help you get started on your self-care journey. Until next time, remember... You are a badass and you are not alone.